the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Get it on my stereo right at the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. My name's Mark Hiles, and I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton News. This is the show that thinks it's coming home for Christmas. And by it, we mean three points from Shrewsbury. What did you think we were on about? On the show this week, the very latest on Skipper Ricardo Santos. We break down the Bolton Wanderers draw and have a shufty at Shrewsbury. And we ponder, is it actually too cold to open the transfer window? But first, on December 12th at the University of Bolton Stadium, Bolton Wanderers are looking to set a world record for the largest collection of carol singers. We already know 10,000 people have signed up for it, but make sure you add your name to the list. You've got to help Sharon Britton get into the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, The event is completely free, completely free. You don't have to pay a penny. All you have to do is register your ticket. Um, and to do that, you can go to the Wanderers official website, look at the stories that they've got up on there, or have a look at the notes on this podcast. There'll be a link in there. You'll be able to do it. I'm sure on the Bolton News website as well, we'll be carrying a story at some stage or another. Google Bolton Wanderers Big Carol Concert. It's it's dead easy to find. Uh, but the doors open at 5.30 at the stadium. The event, I believe, starts at 7pm. There's going to be special guests there. And... Dapwaf Alliance going to sing a song. Who would not want to hear that? Right, it's Game Faces on. And with me on this week's show, it's... Henry Hewitt. He supports the Mighty Wanderers. There's your jingle, Henry. Again, it's back. Ah. Well, they're getting... You know, the first one was just Henry Hewitt, and now this one. They're getting more factual. Well, I mean, Henry Hewitt was factual. That is my name, but, you know... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a factual start to the podcast. Um, it's all downhill, all downhill from here, folks. Don't expect anything else to be correct from here on in. And one thing I can say for absolute definite is that we're going to cover pretty quickly the fact that there was a game last Friday, and that's um, it, it seems like an eternity ago now. But mm. Bristol Rovers at home, one-one. It was another comeback. Uh, is there any chance that Bolton Wanderers could just make life easier for themselves? Oh, yeah. It was... Um, you know what? Then the credit to Bolton and the way they play and the way they do things by scoring in the last minute is that even as frustrating as that game was and there were parts going into the last... Uh, into stoppage time where I was thinking, yeah, we're not going to do this. But you never fully 100% go, we're not going to get a goal. It's probably like 50-50 now where you're like, yeah, we're probably going to score, but actually these are on the wind-up. Um, but then, yeah, Dion scored. And uh, it's it, the only frustrating thing is then you've got a few minutes afterwards where you think, we can win this. And obviously it never happened. But uh, no, it's, it's a nice habit to have, but I'm with you. Can we just win a game easy, please? You'd, I would love to know because... For weeks, months, it seems like seasons Bolton have been discussing. Oh, If we get this early goal, we can do X, Y and Z. And mm. so far, I think you can probably count on very few occasions they've managed to do it. Sunderland obviously being the, the major one. But it's so rare that Bolton get up ahead of steam early on. And, and we know the reasons. We've talked about the reasons. And you'd argue, does the end result 
kind of make it all worthwhile. Uh, I'd say probably a lot of the time it does. Bolton are fifth in the league. They're doing quite well. It's it's there's nothing to really uh, complain about. But yeah, you you would like to be able to just feel a little bit more comfortable, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I think for um, you know, even though it's a good habit to have, the thing with football fans is that eventually it's going to wear really thin, and people are going to get really really frustrated. I would just wish I followed instead of charging a tenner for the whole match would do a deal where you can just pay two quid to the last um, <laughs> 10 minutes and I think we'd, we'd probably get more more people buying that but um, but no yeah it's, it's it's a nice habit to have but you know I can't wait for the day that we just comfortably win it might be Saturday get an early goal and then get a second and we're fine but yeah this is Bolton Wanderers no doubt if we did that we can see two and then score a third in the in the last second it will be an early goal as well with the twelve thirty kick off. It's going to be. Mm. I'm actually going to be eating breakfast at breakfast time with Jack Dearden this time. It's, it's, it's so rare. It's normally in the middle of the afternoon, but yeah, I think um, the the problem being is, of course, if you're going to score early on, you actually have to have a, a relatively regular supply of goals, and that's the been the problem, hasn't it, this season? That the strikers haven't. I mean, they've scored in fits and starts. I said the other day, Dion. Charles actually got seven goals for the whole season. It's not even the halfway. So if he were to double that, you'd say that 14's not bad, actually. In the in the annals of Bolton Wanderers strikers, 14 for the season isn't too bad. No, you're right. And I saw somebody on uh, Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but they pointed out that his, his uh, strike rate or his, goal, his goals per game ratio is actually better than what um, Dapo's was last season mm. you know and at the moment yeah you're right you know he's got seven as we head into December if he gets a few more before the end of December he could end up on like 18 like Owen Doyle and mm. suddenly he's had a great season so it is it's really interesting it's it's funny when you you know obviously hindsight will be able to tell us at the end of the season and I'm sure if he does get 18 goals or 20 goals then people will look back and go well what were we moaning about but if you remember with Owen Doyle, he's got 18, but there were little parts where people mm. were were questioning him. I mean, Ian, Ian Everett says the luck has to change, and you know he and, and I know there'll be people out there rolling their eyes. There always are whenever you mention XG and all the the data driven stuff. But it's it is, however many times you roll your eyes, it is how the game is analysed these days, and. All signs point to the fact that Bolton are doing everything right, with the exception of that final touch. And that really, unfortunately, is the most important one. Um, so they're getting in the right positions. It's the final pass or it's the final actual shot. Um, is it luck? Is it right to describe it as luck? I'm, I'm not sure it is. Um I don't know. I think there is elements of it. You know, I do watch other teams and I think that the ball just, sometimes the, the cross will come in and it'll just land to one of their players or it'll take a deflection and land. So I think the amount of times that Bolton get to the byline and cut it in, I think the, obviously there's an element of you should be picking out your man, but there is an element of luck and I don't think we have it. And, um, you know, so I, that will change at some point. But you've, you know, they say you've got to make your own look. So if you're getting to the byline, crossing the ball, and it's going out for a throw-in, that's you've got. To, you know, you've got to. If you picked out a man, chances are it's going to take that deflection and go in. But if you're not doing, then there's no way anyway. So you've got to make your own look. But I do. I I actually do agree with elements of that. You know, like I've said before, the amount of times we get to the byline, cross it in, and it hits them 
hits back our player and goes out for a goal kick or um you know just little little things like that is mm. we do need a bit more luck but as we keep saying we're fifth in the league and we need more luck it's not a bad position to be in no no i tell you he didn't get any luck and that's that's bob farson um that the uh, he get got back to try and clear a corner I, i'm not sure whether he got clattered by james trafford and then kind of pushed into one of the Bristol Rovers players. But he ended up with his nose spread halfway across his face. Um, obviously, it looks like he's, he's broken his nose. He's got two black eyes. He posted a picture on Instagram as well. Um, maybe we'll see a, a mask of some description. I think it was Klas, Klasnich wore one at one stage, didn't he? We've had a few mask wearers down the years. We have. Jock AF had one mm, as well course, at one yeah. point. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um... You know, as, as yeah, it could be. Uh, I don't know. It could be. You you better better be getting like your your Batman headlines ready <laughs> if that is the case. But I, you know, I hope so. I, I, Bod Varsin, I think he's, um, you know, one of our, if not our best striker. I think he's he's really surprised me with, um, you know, how he plays the game. You know, he's not just a lump it up to him kind of striker. He's actually no. quite good on the ball, and he's. Um, uh, you know, and, he, and he's got he has got a shot on him as well, which I think sometimes with our strikers they're a bit shot shy. I, I think Bod Varson is someone who will look to get the, the shot away, and that's probably why he's got a few goals in the last couple of seconds, like against Burton and Markham. So, um, so yeah, I hope he is fit. I mean, is there any indications could he be fit, or is he is he out for? Is he going to be wearing that mask? Well, we're told that the concussion protocol was five days, so obviously expends that um mm. so he should be okay providing of course there's there's some sort of protection I, I think he will end up wearing a mask um i mean it might be blessed relief in this weather i'd be wearing a mask a snood and some flipping gloves if it were me out there because imagine he's icelandic why why does he care i mean he'd be fine, yeah. wouldn't he? but no i mean the, the other thing we're talking about this Shrewsbury game as if it's happening. We could be sat here doing this podcast and and people listening to it on Saturday morning thinking, what are they on about? It got frozen off about an hour ago. We don't know that's the case. I know Shrewsbury haven't got um, uh, under-soil heating. Watched them put the frost covers on the other day and, and looked at the weather forecast and thought, crikey, I hope this happens. Oh, well, I didn't know that. When you just said that now, my heart sank, to be honest. At least we've got the England game at night to... To give us something, but I mean, I was, you know, I was thinking, what a great day it would be. We go to Shrewsbury, get a win, and then come home and see England winning the quarterfinals, which is totally me being optimistic. When in reality, it'll probably be a, a, a nil-nil or a, a, a one-nil to Shrewsbury, and then England go out. But um, no, I, I, I hope it happens because you know, I know obviously the Cheltenham game was was cancelled for different reasons, but you know, when you've got that full away end like we're going to have mm. at Shrewsbury. And then it gets moved to a Tuesday. You're a bit like, oh, a bit. That it kind of deflates a lot of people, um, and then they won't go and they get the money back and stuff. So, um, yeah, I hope it does happen. But, um, but yeah, that that does worry me, Mark. I'm not going to lie with the fact that they've not got underside. Like, isn't that a new state, a newish stadium? How come we don't have that? I don't. I think it costs a lot of money. I, I, I to be honest with you. Um, the only reason I say they haven't got it is that I saw an interview in 2018 from uh, from the groundsman talking about the fact they hadn't got it. Now, if Shrewsbury have installed under soil heating in the, the intervening four years, I forthwith apologise to all Salopians for, for that statement. Um, but it looks by the fact that they're covering it with bin bags 
that it's unlikely, I would have said. Oh, uh, every now and again, there's little little things that remind us that we're in League One. Yeah, yeah. And also, look, I, I'm old enough to remember going to the Gay Meadow, which was next to a river, uh, where you know a guy used to have to go out on a boat and collect the balls that got booted over the stand. Uh, that place was hell on earth. It was freezing cold in July. It was horrible, mm. and so it would have been it would have been frozen off like months ago. It was like it was like the wall in in Game of Thrones. It, there's no way on earth it would have been played. So anyway, fingers crossed there is a game. Um, but there's definitely been headlines this week. There's been some pretty big stories. So Henry, you have gathered them up and lay them on me. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, well, the first one, this this came after, after the game on Friday. It's a bit worrying, actually. It's about Rico Santos. Um, he wasn't playing on Friday, and it turns out that he's in, in hospital with pneumonia. Like, what what do you know about this one, and uh, and how much, well, what how is he? Well, the good thing is that he's, he's improving, and that's, uh, that's, that's the main thing. When the club put the statement out in midweek, I'm led to believe he was quite close coming out of hospital. Hopefully, by the time we sit here and record that, that has happened, and that Rico is listening to this podcast with his feet up at home and hopefully convalescing on his way to a full recovery. And um, that's the main thing, the fact that, the fact that he's back on, on the uh, the the path to recovery. I, I believe Gethin Jones said after the game that, that maybe his, his, one of his kids had had the virus, um, which spread to him, struggled breathing, he got pneumonia symptoms as well. I spent best part of a year in hospital with the pneumonia, so I can completely sympathise with where he's coming out with that one. Um, so he's, uh, he's managed to shrug it off in about a week, which is, uh, tells you a lot about his fitness compared to mine. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, fingers crossed, he makes full recovery, gets back out um, as soon as possible. Um, I wouldn't push it because obviously um, that kind of thing does hit you hard. And I think it's going it's, to... It's, it's definitely going to have crossed even Everett's mind that he might have to make provisions for it, whether that be in January or whether that be a, a temporary shift potentially. Owen Toll did a good job, I thought, the other day against Bristol Rovers. I thought he looked okay. Um, a little bit wobbly early on, but I thought he grew into the game and, and looked confident. He used the ball quite well. Um, but there's no cover. There's no backup after that. So you're asking Owen Toll now to, to play every game until Rico gets better. So I think right now it, there's probably a million and one scenarios spinning around the manager's head as to, to what he might or might not do. But I do wonder, I do wonder whether or not if, if, if Santos is going to be out for a while, whether or not he thinks, well, okay, maybe it's time to shift that formation. Yeah, maybe it's, um, you know, I, I think that, yeah, Toll did, um, okay, I thought against Bristol Rovers, um, you know, I thought he looked a bit uh, nervy at the start, but then picked up towards the end. So, uh, would I be happy going with Toll, Jones, uh, and Johnston for the for the foreseeable? Probably I would, yeah. But yeah, you um, you know, you you've got to think. Well, we're a man down in defence. Does he? Would he prefer to have? Uh, one of them as cover and go with a four four two, or would he? Uh, is he happy to go with uh, with what he's got? It's 
it's an interesting one. Of course, the the window's coming up, and we're going to have a, a little chat about that in a moment. But um, yeah, it's I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things where it's like a, a bad injury, isn't it? it you know, it it, it shot it knocks everyone because it everything's out of place. You can put up with the odd suspension for a few games, but we don't know when Santos is going to come back. So for the club, do they do they go into the transfer market and think, well, we need someone to just cover, or do they think, well, he might be back? sooner than what we think or or whatever we we don't know but um yeah it's, it's a, it is a big miss for for Bolton I know I, Santos is a bit of a I don't want to say a Marmite figure because I know a lot of people do like him but I, there are some that don't but I think on the whole even though we actually do have a good record without Santos uh, if you think about the end of last season I think he is going to be a massive miss and hopefully he can get back sooner than later um I, I tell you what let's talk about the the transfer window then. Um, you know, I know Ian Everett's been talking about the, the, maybe the type of player that he might want to bring in this week. Do you think that look at a, a centre-half now that, if, you know, Santos is, is not available? I, I, I think that just depends entirely on prognosis and, and what, what damage has been done. Uh, you, you think back to, I think he was poorly at the start of the season, wasn't he? And it took him quite a while to get back to full fitness. And it's not easy for a centre-half to to get that unless you're playing games as well, to get the, the match sharpness there. So I, I wonder whether or not he sees Ameson as a as a replacement. Obviously, he is also coming back off the back of an injury as well. He's, I know he's back training now. Um, I'm sure the idea has crossed his mind. I think there are probably positions that are more pressing or certainly were more pressing in his mind coming into January. Striker being probably number one and I would say goalkeeper being number two um, because we still have that kind of looming scenario on the, the in the background where James Trafford is not going to be here next summer or not next season rather or we certainly don't think he will be. And uh, this could be the time where you get in a, a genuine genuine contender. And Joel Dixon, whilst I think he has been unfairly criticised at times, I don't think he's the answer. And that's that's my opinion, unfortunately. I just don't I just don't think he's he's gonna he's gonna be with the club um, you know, beyond next season. But you know, it's uh, I'll I'll stand corrected and here comes Joel Dixon, um, you know, Saving a penalty in the uh, in the Papa John's Trophy final to become the uh, the hero and stay with Bolton forever. Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I think the striker we know about obviously Bolton needs some sort of attacking spark. There, there's there's a lot of different things that could happen. But the Santos thing certainly has added to the list. What do you, what do you think in terms of priority? Where do you think? Um, funnily enough, I think goalkeeper is a priority, and not for this season, but going forward. I don't know whether they'll want to look at. Um, you know, because I know we in the past we've had loan signings that have turned into permanent deals. Whether they want to go down that route and have someone in the door for four months, ready to learn off Trafford, which is funny, really, considering that Trafford is only what nineteen, twenty himself. 20, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, whether they do that, I, I think the goalkeeping situation is something that needs to be addressed uh, definitely. In defence, yeah, Santos is a big miss. A uh, toll. He's probably going to come in. Then you've got Amerson as cover. Of course, you know we've got Senior who's, who's still knocking about. Um, 
you know, maybe he could come in as yeah. as extra cover. Uh, but I think they'll probably want a bit more cover considering there's three spaces they need to fill. So I think they'll they'll get a defender in. Other than that, I look at I look at elsewhere, and you think, well, midfield, I think we're fine. We don't need anything there. Um, wing backs as well. I think we're we're all right. It depends whether John uh, goes or not. Whether we'd need cover and up front, it's the, the, that's the question. Is up front, people will be screaming at us now, going, "We need a striker." But we've got plenty of strikers. They're just not scoring regularly enough. Now they've got a big December coming up because if if suddenly they all start scoring, then in December, in January, we're looking and going, "Well, actually, we don't need a striker. We've got this guy who's who's scoring or that guy." Mm. Yeah, if no, don't, absolutely. We do. So, I think, for me, it is goalkeeper in defence. Uh, midfield is fine. And then you're looking at a striker, of, of depending on how they're doing around that time. I think with midfield, I, I, I accept your point there in terms of the number of players they've gotten. And you can, you can rotate that a little bit. But I still I had this conversation on Twitter last night. I, I, I still don't think they've got a number 10. I think maybe Kieran Lee would be your man if he's fit every week and he's playing every week, but he just isn't. So I think probably if, if you were looking at a midfielder, there may be somebody who would play this a similar type of way to Kieran Lee, a younger player, maybe somebody, you know, a bit more energy, whatever it might be. Um, I still think that is a gap to be filled, potentially. Um, I'm, I'm going to write something quite quite soon on, on how different players have done in that position and I don't think anybody has really aced it this season no. I think of anybody I could say Kieran's probably the one and, and Kyle Dempsey's a slightly different type of 10 but obviously he's had his own problems keeping his um, keeping his fitness up so I, I just wonder whether or not he's got half an eye on that position as well but I, I agree with you I think you've got to look at that longer term thing on the goalkeeping front you've got to look at if there is a, a longer term problem with, with Ricardo Santos and his route to recovery even even if there isn't really I think like you say Declan John hasn't played games Kieran sadly hasn't played games there could Bakayoko hasn't played games there could very easily be players that are looking to looking elsewhere and, and looking to get get a move elsewhere so that would alter the balance then as well so um, I mean I did that Facebook live thing on uh what, what day was it? Wednesday after Wednesday. Wednesday morning, rather Wednesday morning, and and a lot of people were asking about players leaving, and and I I can see a scenario where sort of two or three were to be loaned out or to be, uh, to be moved on, because they are they're in a good position in their career. They're they're in the prime of their career. They don't need to be sitting on the bench every week. I could I could very much see the likes of Bakayoko or, or Sadlier or uh, even Will Ameson looking and saying, "Well, look at." It's no good me being sit, sitting on the bench for the next three or four months. I, I may as well go out and, and start my career again elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the thing at this level is that we don't get paid enough to be able to sit on contracts. You know, they they want to be playing week in and week out, and you you wouldn't at the moment you wouldn't blame the likes of Amos and John, even Sadlier, to to wanting to go out and do that. Um, I know he's been speaking about uh, the summer as well and, and the new Bolton Wanderers, the better Bolton Wanderers, the better run Bolton Wanderers uh, we know do look towards the summer. Um, last year, we saw a few players come in for for small fees who were out of contract in the summer. Do you think we could see that again? Well, that's that's the big one, really. 
they are the the structured signings when they're talking about um identifying targets that's the ones they're all about i mean anybody can look at well who's out of contract in the summer you know even us journalist types can just type that into a, a search engine and find you know a hundred different players that they could be it, it's the ones that are in a situation in January where maybe their contract is running out in the summer and the club are receptive to a bid or that the player is, is looking elsewhere. Now, Dion Charles was the operative example. Uh, I think Aaron Morley was as well. I think Rochdale wanted to get something for him. They knew that it was probably the time to, to get something for him. Probably in the end, Gillingham knew that about Dempsey as well although it did take a lot longer and a lot more messing around. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's the homework. That's it's, it's finding those players that you may be able to lowball effectively for a fee. And we know Bolton Wanderers are not going to be splashing loads of cash around. They're, they're simply not. They're not going to be able to go into the summer and necessarily compete for the very top free transfers because the wages are simply not there for them. They're not going to be able to go into the summer and pay what you would pay in a summer transfer window for a player who's not in that situation contractually or or looking to move on elsewhere. It's it's just not the economy of the club at the moment. They're looking to be as sustainable as they possibly can be, and you know, rightly or wrongly, that's just the way that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, I do think that that's the kind of. Fee, I do. I can see them paying fees. I can see them going and, and paying smaller fees. But I think that's the type of signing I expect them to make. And I, that's the point I made earlier about the um, the goalkeeper. I think if if it were me, I'd be looking for the person who's going to be your number one next season and get him in now, even if it does mean paying a fee. But having a person that you want at the club right now. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with goalkeepers is that as Trafford has done a great job and he really feels a part of the club, even though we know that this is probably going to be... Unless, you know, if we got promoted, then maybe we get another year uh, with him. But I think, yeah, Man City will be looking for him to play higher up next year. Mm. So I think this is the last season we'll have him. But, um, you know, I think you're right there. I think you, you can't be just... I mean, who knows? Maybe we could loan another goalkeeper and get a few years out of them and this is the route we go down. But I don't think... In terms of longevity, that is the answer personally. So I think you knew, you do need to bring in someone who's going to stay at the club, who's going to build and, and he's a good player. And, and you know, let's face it, if Trafford was ours, we'd probably sell him in the summer anyway, but get quite a lot for him. Mm. So um, we need someone who, who we you know is ours and we can, if needs be, make money on them and... Uh, but, you know, they, I'm sure Ian Everton and Chris Markham are looking at that and I'm, I'm sure they they could be listening to his podcast laughing, thinking, well, we know what we're doing and we've got it all sorted. Well, that's the problem. They do know what they're doing. I mean, just look at the, the, the past two Januaries. The record's been brilliant. It really has been brilliant. And this, you know, they're, they're turning into a, a very adept recruiter in January. Both seasons so far have started poorly and been rescued by the January. This season, they're actually in a good position. So it could be the most important of, of all of them. Because if they make the right signings here, they can turn a, a good season into a great one. And I, I dare say that's the thinking with Football Ventures as well. Because we talked about the, the financial input and the transfer fees they've paid. They haven't been big. But actually, the right ones at this transfer window especially I think with the difference makers the 
the goalkeeper with the um, with the striker, they're the ones that are going to get you promotion. For mm. me, yeah, definitely. But you know, those are the uh, those are the, the players that are, are important because you've got to keep clean sheets, and we've mm. been doing that. We've been we've been you know we've conceded quite a few goals over the last. Uh, six weeks, I think, barring the Cambridge game, but comparatively speaking, yeah, 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 but um, compared to the start, yeah, but um, we are still one of it. I think we're still the lowest, or maybe joint now, uh, low, the least goals conceded. So that is working. It's just the strikers that need to score because we're we're quite far down the list um, in comparison with the teams in the other top, you know, in the top ten. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be it's an interesting month. I don't think it's going to be as interesting as last year. I don't see us bringing in eight players, uh, but I think they will be. I trust that there'll be a few gems just unearthed, and uh, we can push on. Um, I, another headline I noticed, and it, it really made me laugh. Actually, you know, when I was I was watching Joey Barton on Friday <laughs> getting a yellow card, and yeah. obviously after the goal, he was he was throwing his hat on the ground like. Uh, uh, Hannah is not Hannah Barbera, Warner Brothers character. Oh, Yosemite uh, Sam. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, Ian Everett said he's, he's taking a new calmer approach on the touchline. We we noticed it against Fleetwood when he was playing peacemaker. And uh, do you think he's uh, he has turned over a new leaf, or are we just waiting for that uh, dodgy sending off or dodgy offside given against us, and then he'll he'll go back to his old self? Well, I mean, for me, you know, if, if he manages it. <laughs> Like the the biggest character change since they, you know, swapped the actress that played Pippa in Home and Away, um, or something like that. Another another more contemporaneous uh, reference. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's. I think I'm I'm very sure you're not going to get that out completely out of him. But we have made the point a fair few times, and especially recently, that I think going overboard at times. It's probably counterintuitive. It probably does Bolton more harm than it does them good, going bananas at a fourth official and then picking up yellow cards and, and that kind of thing. And, and we put it to Ian Everett the other day, and, and he said, well, yeah, it's something I'm working on. He feels that he's not giving his team 100% if he's if he's concentrating on the wrong things, the refereeing, uh, refereeing performances particularly. And I think it probably does rub off if if a manager is 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 always looking at the referee, it potentially presents an excuse for the players. And if the players are walking off, not you know if they if they're willing to blame something that they can't control, then then there's a problem. It starts circulating and it, it becomes an issue. You can't do anything about referees. You can't do anything about them at all. It's, they either give you a decision or they don't give you a decision. You can't talk them in or out of it. You could probably affect it. At, a modicum, I would have said, with your behaviour, but not a massive amount. And I think if you go overboard, like I say, it can actually be be uh, destructive. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think it's something he does look, need to look at. I think it's something, as a young manager, he, he you know, he's, he's willing to learn, he's willing to, to listen to people's opinions, whether or not anybody higher up has had a word in his ear and said, listen, you know, I could do without all these fines. <laughs> Or uh, I could do without all these pictures of you barking on the touchline at, at fourth officials. It's not a great look. Maybe. Who knows? Um, it's certainly a point we've made uh, time and time again in the paper. Um, and I think it'd be well received as well, because especially away from home, um, it, I think it's it can be 
problematic with with away fans as well when when you're perceived as always always complaining. I think uh, if if you sit there with your hands in your pockets as as, as Ian did at uh, at Fleetwood, or or just kept as calm as I think it does translate onto the pitch and and in those two games his team have have gone past the adversity some very poor refereeing performances I would say and they've got what they needed out of the game so it's working so far long may it continue what about you do you like the the brand new ever um I, I didn't say I noticed to be honest but uh <laughs> but yeah if that's what um you know if that's the what he wants to do then great and I think um yeah it's there are times where you do look and go, the referee's giving us nothing, and uh, you know, and it, it or a decision doesn't go your way when it should have done, and you can think, well, we would have won the game if if it weren't for that. But most of the time, it's not just a refereeing decision that means you you lose a match, and um, you know, I think, I mean, you don't know with referees, the you don't know what's going on in their head if they've got a, a manager who's barking and shouting at them and. Um, and players that are doing the same, then maybe they, they aren't inclined to give you a decision because they, they, they're not enjoying your company. But at the same time, there's, there's, there's been a few occasions this season, and I think that one of the goals against Oxford and uh, a few others where it, you know, it looked like a foul or we've been given, um, you know, not been given a foul or something. And, and the players, I, I would, there's, there's sometimes where I would like them to, to give a bit more of a reaction. But um, you know, it's it's it all swings and roundabouts. Maybe Ian Everts looking at that and going, "Well, when I'm shouting and ranting and raving, we're not getting anything. So I'll try and be nicer to people. Maybe we'll get some more. Maybe it's all tactics. I don't know. Maybe that reaction needs to come on the pitch. I I, I take your point there. Where appealing for a foul, appealing for this, that, and the other. That's that's the kind of gamesmanship element into into the game that that you do need. No question. Um, obviously, you don't want that to overspill and, and to be to become a, a disciplinary matter where you're picking up yellows or reds or anything like that. But yeah, I don't see anything wrong in on the pitch contesting and and claiming whatever it might be on the pitch. But I think from the touchline, there's very little you can do. I just I, I can't honestly see what shouting at a fourth official does personally mm. because he can't do anything. Most of the time, and, we, and, and we've said it a few times that, that the role of the fourth official seems to change with every game anyway. Sometimes they've got input on the referees, sometimes they haven't, sometimes they just sit there and placate people, sometimes they pass the message on. We don't really know what the, the situation is. Linesman, I suppose, yes, but I mean, how much effect can you really have on somebody that's running away from you every five seconds? And the referee's in the middle of the pitch half the time and, and, and usually only hears about the worst stuff and comes over and books you. It's, I think there's this negligible effect a manager can have uh, from the dugout on on the performance of a referee. The players and the fans, 100%. I can understand that. I mean, you talk about home referees all the time because of the, the, the sheer... You know, if, if Bolton's fans were to appeal for every single decision, I think they'd get more. I'll be honest. Well, yeah, I think it, with Bolton fans... It goes from appealing to just moaning, and uh, like the, I mean, the referee on the referee on Friday didn't deserve it. I thought he, he, oh, he yeah, he's wasn't poor. very, very he was poor. he wasn't very good at all. But uh, but yeah, so um, but uh, you know, I mean, you know, I did feel on Friday. Joey Barton's not stupid, and he's been to. He actually said in his press comments before the game that the 
Uni Ball was one of his favourite stadiums because he made his debut there. He knows what Bolton fans are like. He's in. He knows to if 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 the opposition get under our skin, then we quickly turn. Whether it be on the referee or the uh, our own players or whatever, and that's what they tried to do. And obviously, it almost worked for them. But um, but yeah, it's I, I think. Uh, yeah, I do think with Bolton fans, it goes from appealing to just shouting at <laughs> the referee. Um, but anyway, I mean, speaking of a stadium, actually, our last headline of, of today is uh, about the ACV that's been confirmed for the University of Bolton Stadium. The supporters trusted it. I liked your comment the other day where you said it's in a lot less, um, you know, it's, it's, less, it's not as big a headlines as what it was when they did it a few years ago, but it's still important, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think had they not got it in 2017, then we probably would be playing in the Ken Anderson Arena. Um, and nobody wants to do that, to be honest. You just have to look at Derby and look at Coventry. and Or, or particularly Coventry, I would say. Uh, yeah. The problems that different landlords can have. And... I noticed there was a bit of a debate on social media last night about uh, whether or not legally this can do much. And I, I accept the point that this isn't an absolute. If if Sharon Britton were to, you know, take a, a an evil turn and turn some malevolent, horrible uh, owner tomorrow and decide, right, that's it, I'm going to I'm going to make some money by selling the stadium which obviously is not going to happen. I'm just using this for purpose and effect. Um, but yes, if that were to happen, there is no guarantee that the supporters' trust would then be able to buy the stadium because all this does is give the moratorium, gives the gives the opportunity for them to have X amount of weeks to put a bid in, X amount of weeks to raise the money. And I think the point was made that the last time this happened, or the last time the club was up for sale, rather, that the money that the, the supporters trust had a bit of a run round. They they raised the money. They looked at the books, etc., etc., with the view to being able to look at a bid, and it didn't materialise. And that is true. And that is true. Um, a lot of things were happening in the background. A lot of discussions were had. But I think when all was said and done, I think they most of the rivals, if not. Certainly not all of them, Bassini, but most of the rivals saw that nobody was going to get through that gate unless it was Football Ventures because they had the better bid. Yeah. And that's mostly the reason that nothing else materialised is that the administrators were working with Football Ventures at that point in time and, and they were through the gate almost. There was only a, well, obviously well-publicised reasons why it didn't didn't go through and as quickly as it should have done. But, you know, I, I think... There was no other credible bid is the bottom line um, at, at the time because I don't think anybody else really thought they were going to be able to get it. Um, there were a lot of interested parties and if Sharon Britton were to have that malevolent turn tomorrow, they may the Avengers may well assemble again and the Supporters' Trust would have that in, um, that ready-made in for somebody, for some saviour uh, to, to, to turn up and to be able to buy the stadium and keep it in the club's name. Um, yeah, um, that's I would ask them. Yeah, it is. That's the important thing. Is it's it's you know Sharon Britain's club, but it's also our club as fans. And you know there are certain there's certain things where you think that yeah maybe fans look 
and expect too much considering it is a business but at the same time uh, you know it's not just a business it's it's the heart of the community and it's the heart of you know it's, it's what most of us it's the the biggest passion in our lives so uh so yeah you you would think that you know when you look at coventry at the moment and and what's happening there and the mess that they're in and they continue to be in um you know you do look and think we have we have struck lucky with sharon Britton. okay she's not a an oligarch or she's not a uh you know a, a qatari state run business but she Hold is the someone... phone. she isn't a qatari state-run business <laughs> <laughs> yeah well she might be you never know but she's not let that information out yet but uh but no we i remember you saying at the time bolton wanders needed a hug and needed a yeah. cuddle and she definitely give us that whatever happens in the future you hope that um you know it, it is still that there may be a mm. point where as a football club we look and think well we need something else because we we're in the premier league or you know we need more we need a, a richer owner, but for the time being, she's doing a brilliant job. And and the fact that she's not tried to stand in the way of the supporters' trust to do this is uh, is great. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's. I mean, look, ask Coventry's supporters' trust whether or not they wish they had an ACV. Mm, um, that the, the Rico Arena was an ACV or Derby's, for example, because Mel Morris sold it to one of his companies. That just made the takeover an absolute nightmare. Very much in the same way as, as Bolton's ended up being anyway, but it's it yeah it just further complicates it, it and there's all sorts of issues of landlords chucking out football clubs up and down the land even down grassroots and non-league level and it's not it's not something I'd ever wish on Bolton Wanderers so um, having that in having that right to make a bid is absolutely vital um, rather than it being some sort of instant you know. It, instance sort of you are going to make the bid or that there's some sort of bid being assembled it just means you've got the right to do it yeah definitely okay right that's uh that was a serious note on which to end our headlines hmm. so let's move on to something slightly more jocular uh it's a world cup challenge So the, the other night I saw a tweet from The Athletic um, which asked if you could name a team of the best World Cup players, which everybody's done from time to time. But the trick on this one was that you could only name one from each nationality. And I had a stab at it and I was, I was quite happy with my uh, finished product, which you can see on Twitter. Um, but then I thought, can I steal this idea and then graft it onto Wanderers for the podcast? And of course I did. So Henry, your challenge that I sent you last night was to name a team of Bolton Wanderers players who have played for the club between 1990 and 2020. Um, all the Premier League is in there and, you know, all the oh, right up to Keith Hill. Um, but I want a team of 11 different nationalities with a workable formation. Did, did, did you manage it? I did, yeah. And uh, to be honest, I thought this would be really easy to just choose Big Sam years uh, 11 uh, because... Maybe you've got a conflict with 
Anelka and uh, Jorke, mm. but most of them tended to play for an Abdullah Fai and Juve, but most of them tended to play for different countries. But I have done the challenge, but I've tried to vary it. And uh, I'll be honest with you, before 1996 when I started watching Bolton but mm. most of them were English or Scottish anyway so it is really from 96 to uh, 2020 but I think I've done it and I've tried to I've tried to have a varied nationalities as well I've tried to have a, you know different era of uh, you know players from the different decades but also mm. quite a lot of different nationalities as well but I think I've done it Okay, well, yeah, run us through your team. Run us through your team. Who have you got in goal? Well, in goal is quite easy. Finish, Jussi Askelainen. Uh, well, I think you've criminally overlooked Yanni Vianda there, but never mind. Okay. <laughs> um, then at the back, I've gone with, um, well, I've gone with Ricardo Gardner at left back. I know some would argue, well, he was a, a, a left winger, but, you know, in the, to be fair, Big Sam was a bit of an innovator playing a left winger at, at left back. They're all doing it now. <laughs> um, so there's Jamaica centre halves I've gone with Rydie Jaidi so Tunisia ah, yeah. um, and then I thought well just get I know Fernando Hierro kind of played the Campo Makalele role but he's, he was a centre half at heart so there's Spain done uh-huh. um, on the right right back I thought right who could I choose because I could have chose Nicky Hunt but you know that's uh, that's boring and we've got you know we've if we had to choose an all-English team, we would choose a team of Nicky Hunt. Of course, yeah. yeah. So instead, I've chose our Polish right-back, Paul Alkowski. <laughs> Pavel Olkowski? <laughs> um, I've chose him one season. He's got a great goal at Preston. And I think he's got against Millwall as well. Didn't do much else. It was a Rolls-Royce. <laughs> yeah, he did do all right, actually. Maybe we, if we hadn't have been uh, you know, in, the, in financial difficulties, maybe we could have kept hold of him. And he's mm. still be playing for us now. Um, right, in midfield, I've gone with Jufi on the right. Uh, again, I know he was kind of a striker slash right winger, but uh, I've gone with right wing for Jufi. So there's Senegal done. In the middle, JJ, Nigeria, easy. And then I thought, well, um, I was thinking, who else could I choose from that era? And I thought, no, I need to choose someone different. I've gone with Stu Holden. So there's America oh, done. nice, nice. Uh, left left wing. Uh, this is where I kind of struggled a little bit. So I thought, well, I'll just stick an Englishman in there and put Alan Thompson in. Oh, very. I thought you were going to say Jeff Smith. <laughs> and then up front, the two strikers. I thought, this, you know, let's have uh, the strike force we all dreamed we could have seen back in the early noughties. From Scotland, John McGinley, and from Iceland, Ida Good Johnson. Oh, well, I, I would have been lovely. It would have been lovely. There's no question about that. I think Akinora Nishizawa was kicking himself. He didn't get in there at some stage, but never the mind. Never the mind. Dwight Pezzarossi also criminally overlooked from Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, but uh, never, never mind. It was, it was a very. I mean, all I'll say is that I got the separate challenge, and I got the very, very thin end of the wedge <laughs> yeah. um, because my challenge was slightly harder. I had all the years outside 1990. And 2020. So I basically got the, the time where Bolton had no foreigners whatsoever. <laughs> and then the Ian Everett seasons as well. Um, and that's no disrespect to the Ian Everett teams, but it's still it's still lower league. So, um, mm. yes, I'll be honest. There was a time last night where, I mean, I was, I was just, I was 
pacing up and down my kitchen trying to think, but I had Reese Greenwich and Brandon Comley in my team at one, st- <laughs> <laughs> one time. <laughs> so um, I managed to iron it out in the end. I've gone with a slightly experimental 3-4-3 formation, I will say. Um, in goal, Matt Jilks ticking the Scotland box. Uh, back, f- back three, back three. Um, just a couple of nods to the team of today. Connor Bradley for Northern Ireland. Um, he's going to play centre-half. I think he could. Um, also, Ricardo Santos with uh, his native Portugal. And uh, on the left-hand side, uh, Irishman Tony Dunn, one for the late 70s team there in United. Absolute class act. Um, so then midfield four. I've got, <laughs> good God. Um, yeah, midfield four. Representing Poland is the balding genius Tadeusz Novak. Uh, one for today, Josh Sheehan of Wales, sitting mm-hmm. in midfield. Um, also alongside him, the Serbian, the Serbian signed pro- probably just to keep Tad Novak company, uh, Dusan Nikolic from uh, from the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And then uh, playing on the wing, uh, our, our young man, Dennis Politic, uh, representing his home country of Romania. Ah, yeah. So that's uh, the four of midfield. So then three up front, which was pretty easy because I still had my Englishman in my pocket. So Nat Lofthouse is in there. Um, he was no problem. Then I, there was a couple. I, I, I looked at like Willie Moyer or, or um, like Ted Vizard, like some of the 20s golden era type of guys. Uh, but I've I've overlooked them just to stick in. Amadou Bakioko of Sierra Leone and Jan Daddy Bodvarsson of Iceland. So, if anybody can beat... Oh, I'll tell you what, that, if, if uh, I was a defender, I wouldn't like to miss, mess with that front line. No, Jeez. Lofthouse, Bakayoko, Bodvarsson. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little light in midfield, though, I have to say. I'm not too sure how much defensive... I think Josh Sheen is doing a lot of the defensive work in that <laughs> midfield four. Um, yeah. And, and Ricardo Santos might find himself defending one on ten at, <laughs> at some stage of the game. Um, right, here is how to get in touch if you want to give me your alternative alternative lineup. So you want to bring something up on the buff? Email Mark and Henry on the buffmail at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-B-U-F-F-M-A-I-L, all one word at gmail.com. And Sorry to the male escort who probably getting some unsolicited Bolton Wanderers correspondence from the people who spell that incorrectly. Right, it's time for the post bag. Is that Philip Moresh? Emails actually. It's a busy time of year for uh, Mr. Phil Morris as well, I'd imagine. So keep those emails coming in to us because we're going to do a correspondence special at some stage over Christmas, probably just before Christmas, uh, with some of the timeless ones that I've set aside in the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, more on that one later on. But I've got a few here for us, Henry, to, to fizz through. Um, hi, M and H. Um, this is uh, from Lindsay Walker, Mr. Lindsay Walker. Um, I'm a visually impaired Wanderers fan who was at the stadium in the Premier League days and burned and occasionally in the Rioc days. And I was thinking about systems and comments I've heard uh, that Wanderers fanny about at the back and don't get the ball to the strikers early enough. I guess strikers as a breed thrive on being in the box and in scoring positions. Um, if the manager's preferred option is to play through the field 
and the best tactic is to defend through the lines from the front, then I find it not surprising that strikers find it difficult. They'll want to play with the team, but quite naturally that will mean that statistically they probably don't get in easier places to score. Uh, Dion Charles might have found himself in more natural places at Accrington to score his 20, and maybe if we played more direct, he'd be in the right place at the right time. Whenever I've listened to the commentary, the guys nearly always say Harry's defenders and light catcher does a shift for the team, but his job is to score, and he certainly shouldn't get stick for following his boss's instructions. Uh, he can only start scoring freely if he gets into scoring positions, supported by his teammates, realising he's a striker and getting the ball to him. What do you think? I'm sure you'll have much more of a visual point of view. Keep up the buff. Been listening from the start through Apple Podcasts. Have a great Christmas. Uh, and have a great Christmas, oh, uh, Mr. Too. Walker. Yes. Um, so, I guess boiling that down, it is, are the strikers doing too much defending? Um. I don't think they're doing too much defending, but I get his, you know, I get the point of the, um, the yeah, the, the because it's easy for us as as fans to look and go, well, Dion Charles, he's got seven, but a few of those are penalties, and he should be on like twenty goals already. But Ian Everett keeps playing him, so he's clearly doing what the manager's asking and doing it well. Same with Kachunga. So, you know, if, if Ian Everett's looking and going, well, yes, you are a striker, I want you to get the ball up front and, and score, but also I want you to uh, track back, I want you to, um, you know, press defenders and that's your main job, then they are doing what the job is, they, they're doing it well. So, uh, yeah, I get the point, but, you know, I think I, it's all done on stats, isn't it? And they would they will look at the stats and go when strikers are back defending you have you concede sixty five less percent of goals or whatever so yeah there'll be there'll be methods to the madness but I mean I think what we can all agree on is that we would like to see the strikers score more goals. There's definite method because I think the the point on pressing is it it's not we're not talking about defenders that are coming back and you know chasing back and clearing off their own goal line or or acting as some sort of fullback you're acting you're talking about defender you're talking about attackers rather that are closing down fullbacks when they've got the ball they're contesting those second balls the loose the loose balls they're winning possession as high up the pitch as humanly possible now where the point does resonate with me is that when you win that ball if you're if if Kachunga has won the ball on the right channel or something like that it it means that you're a man down elsewhere so I, I think it's it's up to the team to be able to re-establish that kind of attacking shape. And whether that comes as an attacker, whether it comes as one of the wing backs, or one of the midfielders driving forward, you know, it's up to it's up to the team to get the bodies in the box if the attacker has won the ball somewhere he shouldn't be. Um and I think maybe that's where they're a little bit slow in doing it at times. Sometimes we've we've talked about how many bodies are in the box. You said earlier about how many times the crosses come in and they just it doesn't seem to drop for a Bolton player. Well, sometimes that's about numbers. And I feel like it's improved a little bit in the last few weeks. I certainly the number of shots on target and certain number of shots a goal has improved in the last few weeks. So maybe that is, is starting to iron itself out now. Um, but I don't think the way this team plays, you could afford to drop that responsibility from the strikers because I think were you to do that and say to Dion Charles and whoever else is up front, right, well, you guys just you guys just play within the penalty box and we'll do the work and, 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 lump, it, and lump it up to you guys. I think there was a time where that, that used to be the job. 
But nowadays, if you were to do that, then a, a centre-half or a, a full-back will just say, God, fantastic, I've got lo- loads of space to gobble up here. Run past you and suddenly you've got an overload on the other side of the pitch. You know, nowadays defenders are also attackers. So if, if, you, if your attacker isn't defending, then they'll just go and step forward. We see it quite a lot, don't we, with getting Jones particularly, I think, is very good at it. Johnson, less so, but he does try. Iredale's quite good at it when he plays left side centre-half. If they've got the space, they step forward and make that extra man in midfield. And suddenly you've got mm. what's termed an overload. So I think it works both ways. And what Bolton are trying to do is is to kind of counteract it and, and make sure they're getting the ball higher up the pitch. And so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated argument, but I don't think it could be solved simply by saying, well, you guys just be centre forwards, because I think Bolton would lose out on that. Um, yeah. That was a rather in-depth tactical discussion for the buff, that one, Henry, to be I honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll be getting your your athletic job yet. Yeah, that's right. I think I should do a TIFO video to go with that one. <laughs> um, right. Okay, second one. This one um, is from Chris in West Horton. Okay, hi, guys. Surely I can't be the only person that's noticed how poor our set pieces have been in the past couple of seasons. I keep hearing we're working hard on the training, but we see absolutely no evidence out there on the pitch on a Saturday. The deliveries are usually poor, hitting the first man, and I can count on the fingers of one hand how many times I see a player actually attack the ball. When we went up under Phil Parkinson a few years ago, the football was rubbish, but you knew when we got a set piece that Wheater or Beavers would get their head on it. We always were a threat. We have a six foot five inch captain who never scored a goal for us, and sometimes it looks like he never will. Is it time that Ever admits he needs some extra help and brings in a set peach set piece coach, not a set peach coach, which would be a ridiculous <laughs> thing to do, um, or someone else on the training ground that can bring in a few extra ideas? Do Bolton Wanderers Henry need a set piece coach? Um, I, yeah, I mean I know that uh, you know one or two of the coaches have been working on it, so mm. maybe if they listen to this, they'll go, well, technically I'm the set piece coach, but. Um, but yeah, I think the set pieces has been has been an issue. I think it's um, you know I know we're not a long ball team. I know we're not a team that's going to just pump balls into the box and like you know like with Big Sam. But I think you know it, it is statistically, uh, or for me it is anyway. But um, you, you know it's a it's a free cross in the box or it's a free it's a free shot. You know it's it's. It's an opportunity to score goals that I agree with. I think there's too many times where, and to be honest, the last few games, the last six weeks, I have noticed some plans behind it. I think back even to the Charlton goal. I think Johnston scored it where they kind of they went to cross it into the box, but instead did a, a, a dummied pass. To, I think it was Dion Charles who ran in behind the wall and then crossed it in. They, I know they're trying that. They try and get into the back post. Uh, like J- Geffen Jones almost scored against Cambridge if he didn't have a 50p ad. Um, but uh, so I, I can see where they're trying to work it. I know they did the where they all lined up at the back of the, you know, at the back for a while. So I can see that they are trying to do it, but it's just not working enough. And, uh, you know, I, I do actually agree with him regarding Santos. I think to have a, a centre half as tall as he is, um, not scored is is very disappointing. I do think when he does score, he'll score quite a few. But um, but for me, I think the most frustrating thing, yes, not you know hitting the first man is frustrating. Yes, the ball going uh, and being 
wasted on a corner is frustrating. The most frustrating thing for me is the amount of times we give up free kicks from corners. Mm. And you could argue that's the referee, and I'm sure it is. I'm sure if you're a referee and somebody goes down in the box, it's a lot easier to give a free kick than it is a penalty. But the amount of times that it happens is ridiculous, and it's it's a waste. And I think that's a, an issue that needs to be resolved personally as well. Yeah, maybe they, they do need to get a little cannier on free kicks. I will say, this season, four goals have come from free kicks, set pieces, which is already better than last season, which I think last season everybody admitted it was a problem. There have been efforts to rectify it. I know Sam Hurd does work a greater percentage of their training time on, on set pieces now. And they're coming up against a team on Saturday in Shrewsbury that are very good at set pieces. I think their their percentage of their goals is, is very, very high. I think something like 35% of their goals is set pieces. So they'll have to be on their guard defensively. But I think Bolton maybe don't have the players. I mean, other than Santos and, and Bodvarsson, potentially, there aren't many players that you would put your... Put your money on going and winning a header, Bakioko maybe if he's on the pitch. Um, so it's it's they've got to be a bit more creative than that potentially. I think when Morley's on the pitch, the delivery is slightly better. Yeah. Than it has been. Um, there's been it's been difficult when he hasn't been on there, and when he was out the team, you could you could feel that set pieces. Um, but it's definitely an area of improvement that they need to do because in those tight games and they and. A look ahead, maybe past the Shrewsbury one because Shrewsbury are, I think they're 13th at the minute. But beyond that, the next six or seven games are tough against teams that are really looking at Bolton's place and thinking, I want to be there. Um, so in those sort of games, you need to be getting every little advantage you can get. And, and free kicks are one where Bolton can, can make easier gains, I think. Um, right, OK, well, listen, I, I did have a couple more lined up, um, but I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them because uh, we don't want, to, don't want to spoil the goal just yet. In fact, I'm going to signal prediction time. Pass us my crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time. Yes, we've got a bumper prediction time this week because actually not only are Bolton going to Shrewsbury, um, but we're going to say we're going to give a prediction for England versus France, and also Manchester United's kids are, are coming to town in the Papa oh, John's yeah. Trophy as well before we next record. So this is this is the world's first triple prediction time. Um, so Henry, I'm going to I'm going to ask let's let's tackle Shrewsbury first. It's a I mean, it's certainly not an easy game. It's never an easy game. Uh, never an easy game there. And we're, we are also assuming this is getting played. It won't get frozen off. I think it's going to be ugly as hell. Ugly as hell. But I'm backing them. I, I've got this strange feeling in my water that that Bolton are going to cope with it and they're going to win the game 2-1. Um, it would be nice to win the game 2-3-0 and have that easy sort of relaxed weekend. Uh, but... Um... Probably won't happen because it's Bolton. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I this could go. It could go either way. To be honest, we've seen us go to these smaller sort of grounds and and get beat one 0 and it'd be frustrating. But like last year, we also won there. So um, I I'm going to be positive. I think we'll win 
I think it'll be similar to Fleetwood. I think we'll go 1-0 down and then the second half get two goals. Well, sorry, the last 10 minutes get two goals uh, and win the game and uh, and it'll all be good. I'm only going to turn up on 80 minutes. I'm just going <laughs> to sit in the car, keep keep the heaters on. Um, right, OK, so then we've 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 won that game. Um, I've travelled back up the A49 and, and turned left at Stoke, whatever I have to do. Um, we're back. We're back at home. We're at, we're in the pub. We're watching England versus France. What's the score going to be? Um, I don't think England will win. I think uh, I think it'll probably. I don't. Know, I think it'll probably go to extra time and they'll win in extra time. Uh, two one. Two one. I think if Kyle Walker can keep hold of Mbappe, then England win in normal time. If Kyle Walker doesn't, then France win. In on penalties, mm. yeah, no, no, I think France win on penalties. That's that's what I'm going with. France win on penalties. I've just got, I've, I'm ready for heartbreak. I don't, and you know what? I don't mind. I don't care. They've done all right. Quarterfinals fine. It's exactly what I expected of them. This is exactly where I expected them to go out. I've not been emotionally invested in the tournament at all. It's been very detached. I've, I've not been bothered that much. It's been nice. It's been nicer than I thought it was going to be. But I've just, I just don't really care that much. I've just, I'm too busy doing other stuff. <laughs> Bottom line. Yeah, no, no, I get that. I, I to be honest, because I work from home, I have watched the majority of games, so I have been, uh, you know, I have really, um, really actually enjoyed it watching it. But I think um, the, yeah, I, I think for for me, remembering the Brazil World Cup. Is as long as long as England gets to the last week of the competition, it keeps it interesting. When you go out after two weeks, or after, you know, it's boring then for the rest of it, uh, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, England got to the quarters. They're in the last week. There's only a few games after England, so if they do lose, then oh well. And Bolton's still playing anyway. And exactly, exactly. I tell you what, one of my friends who's over there in Qatar at the moment, uh, who used to be used to, used to do a bit of Bolton back, he's one of the national journalists, and he said. Geez, you, you want to see out here? It's, it's like a Bolton old boys reunion. He says it's as if Bolton Wanderers are the only team out here that have ex-players. <laughs> so he started <laughs> listening off. Apparently, Sasa Sursic is over there. Um, Jared Baghetti, we've seen Jaidi, we've seen Jorkiev, we've seen uh, Stu Holden, uh, we've seen Hierro, uh, Stelios has, has been over there. This is, I, I tell you what. In in my mind's eye, there's a kickabout going on somewhere, and where, where they all get together on a on one of those uh, Qatari pitches, like Roy Keane did for ITV, yeah. and it's uh, it's Bolton Wanderers versus whatever Skaggy Wigan expats they've got on out there. Uh, that uh, that'd be great. I'd love to see that. Um, yeah, I mean, going off some of our farmer players, I think we'd. Uh... I think we'd comfortably win that. And if there's any Wigan fans listening, I'm sure they'll clip that and go, oh, typical Bolton talking about the past. And oh, yeah, you, what league are you in now? But, you know, we'd we'd win an old boys match anyway. Uh, well, uh, maybe Roberto Martinez can manage their team. He hasn't got a great deal else to do. Um, so let's not forget the Papa John's Trophy. Let's glory. Let's, let's revel in the glory of being in the Papa John's Trophy and playing Manchester United under 21s. Um, are you are you at all bothered about this? <laughs> it's, I I I feel like we're getting to the stage of the competition where Bolton fans should be bothered about it. Yeah, I I am, and to be honest, and if we lose, I'll be really annoyed. But 
Um, it is a bit embarrassing. It's a bit cringe playing Man United under 21s. I'm not going to lie, but it's a lot um, cringe. yeah, but it, you know, you, it all depends what happens on Tuesday. But on Wednesday, it's either cringe, but hey, we could have had a lot worse a match and we're through to the next round. Or this is the most one of the most embarrassing things that is. Uh, that's happened to us. And you've got to remember that under Ian Everett's time at Bolton, we have had some embarrassing moments. You could argue that the Port Vale game, the Stockport uh, Cup game, the Hartlepool game last year, Ian Everett has had his, his fair share of embarrassing moments, probably more than most managers. Um, so we are due one this season. Hopefully it won't happen on Tuesday. But um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I think for me, Massive game for us, and it's. Um, I, I want to win this competition. You know, we've not been back to Wembley since the game that shall not be mentioned. And I think to the the, the club at the moment are laying a few goals to rest. And I think to go there and and win in the Papa John's Trophy would be to lay one of those goals to rest. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's a massive game. Um, I was worried that Man United maybe play a few ringers, play a few uh, <laughs> of the first team who haven't gone to the World Cup, but I've seen that they're in Spain at the moment, so maybe not. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I personally think it's a massive game, to be honest. But do you agree with that, or are you still looking and going, if we lose, it's meh? I mean, I, I know better than that. I think the, the, the rivalry runs deeper with Manchester United than a lot of people give it credit for and it may be a one-sided rivalry but I think if Bolton Wanderers were to lose against a Manchester United under 21 team there would be a very very severe reaction whatever competition it's in and, and however much people want to win it that's almost that's almost a side point I think were were that embarrassment to be piled on Bolton then it wouldn't oh I might just book I have got the rest of the week off what am I talking about I've actually, I've actually got the rest of the week hmm. off so I don't have to deal with it but it will be awful um, I do think Bolton have got genuine a genuine chance of winning that competition I agree with you to get back to Wembley would be absolutely fantastic I don't care about how Mickey Mouse the trophy is or what the uh, practicalities or the ethics of the competition are I don't care once you get to Wembley it does not matter um, so yes Get this done. Let's, you know, cringe our way through it, grit our teeth, just get a result against United's kids, draw a proper club in the second round, in the next round, and we can start um, We can start remembering when it was called Sherpa Van and Leyland Daff and all the rest of it and start to start digging out the, the archives and getting excited about it because uh, the nearer Wembley gets, the better it'll seem. Um, I'm going 2-0, comfortable win. What about you? Um... Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I think we'll get a three nil. I think it'll be like the Leeds game where, and to be fair, we have done well against under twenty ones. Apart from, I think we lost to Everton. Yeah. In the, the uh, Phil Parkinson days, but other than that, we have done quite well. I don't want to jinx us, but I think we'll. Yeah, I think we'll win. I think it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. Well, it is time to toddle off this week, I suppose. Um, a reminder to keep those emails coming in with stuff you'd like me and Henry to talk about in our pre-Christmas show. Because on December 30th, we're going to be doing a review of the year. That's quite exciting, actually. It's been so much happened this year. Um, and we're not... Uh, we're not going to hold back. We're not going to hold back. We're going to we're going to we're going to ride the highs and uh, delve down in the lows as well. 
Um, it's been uh, an interesting 2022. Um, also, keep an eye out after the final whistle at Shrewsbury on Saturday. Well, assuming assuming it's on, assuming it's not just me stood in a frozen tundra, but uh, I'll be doing a, a final whistle video, which is going out on Instagram, on TikTok. I might even try and get it on, on Twitter and Facebook as well, but hopefully reflecting on a Wanderers win. And then looking forward to an England game as well in the pub. Can't wait. Come on, you three Lions. It's coming home, Henry. It's coming home. I've, I've changed my mind. England are going to win. Uh, it's, the, it's the hope that kills you, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's just not the hypothermia that kills me in Shrewsbury. That's my only... My only, only reservation. Um, anyway, anyway, good luck to those who are not going to Shrewsbury with your Christmas shopping. Good luck to those who are heading down there on the team coach. Drive safe. I'll see you at the Greenhouse Meadow. Until then, until next week, I've been Mark. Don't forget the Chestnuts Isles. And I've been Henry. Have you got your tree up, Hewitt? This has been the Christmas Buff. First, not last. It's not surpassed. It used to be a newspaper. The Buff Podcast Not outclassed Ones on mass Get it on Manchester at the end of the game The Buff Podcast